Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Ain't he all right? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. We thank God, hallelujah, for another Sabbath day. Amen. A day we get to come and praise and worship his holy and righteous name. Amen. And there is power, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, we come in today, amen, excited, hallelujah, looking forward, amen, to uh, this holiday season, amen, a season where we get to talk about and reflect on Jesus and all the things that he has done for us, to us, and even through us. Amen. How many of you know that God is using even you to complete the mission that he started, hallelujah, through his son, Jesus, amen. And we are an extension of Jesus, amen. That's why we have to be filled with the Holy Ghost, hallelujah. That's what keeps us connected to the family of God. And I want to finish today on this uh, sermon topic that we've been talking about for the last four uh, four or five weeks, and that is the family of God. Hallelujah. And we started uh, this class talking about God the Father. Amen. And you can't talk about family without talking about the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. And as we talk about the Father, there are some things that we uh, talked about God and I want to just real, real quick, just kind of go through a review uh, for those who hadn't had a chance or hadn't tuned in or didn't get a chance to take notes. I want to kind of do a quick review, amen, to bring us up to speed on what we've been talking about, the family of God. And uh, God laid it on my heart that it was imperative in these last days that people would know how to distinguish those that are in the family of God uh, apart from those that go to church. Hallelujah. Because there is a huge and tremendous difference as those of us that are actually in the family of God and those of us who just come to church. And even a, a lesser category of those who don't want to have nothing to do with God at all. And they are God's creation because God created everything that's on the earth. Amen. So all of humanity is God's creation. Hallelujah. But it's only a select few. Amen. Hallelujah. That is actually God's children that are actually in the family of God. And I want to go ahead and try to disseminate that information uh, real, real quick, just for a quick review. So if you feel like I'm moving too fast, if you're just tuning in, it's only because I am only reviewing. Amen. I'm not really, uh, we're going to be talking about the, the fourth, uh, fifth entity of the family of God. But today I just want to do a quick review as we get started. And some of the things we mentioned about the family of God, about God the Father, is that God is creator. And we realize that from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, because it says that in the beginning, God created, hallelujah, heaven and earth. And I always like to point out at that time that he didn't make Adam yet. So Adam didn't go around helping God create the earth. God, hallelujah, the Godhead, let me put it that way, created heaven and earth. And I'll, I'll explain in a minute why I say the Godhead. Amen. Amen. And then we realize that also when you read Genesis chapter one and two and you put those two to those two chapters together, we realize that God is provider. God provided everything that we needed to be successful on this earth. Amen. And then by a, a study of the book of Exodus, we realize and we can even see it in uh, Genesis as well. But if we get to the book of Exodus, we'll be able to see where God is a protector. And the reason that I skipped over to Exodus, because the scripture that God placed on my heart to prove that God protects us is that uh, when the people of God left Egypt and they were traveling in the wilderness, 
that God allowed a cloud to follow them by day because they were traveling through the wilderness of the Sinai Desert, uh, where I know uh, personally because we were in the desert in uh, that region of the world and it could get 157 degrees easy in the middle of the day. So God allowed a cloud to follow them by day so the sun would not scorch them. But also he allowed a pillar of fire to follow them by night, to cover them by night uh, so that they may keep warm because just as hot as it get in the desert in the daytime, when it drops down to 89 degrees, which is kind of warm to us, but when you've been at 150 all day, 80-some degrees is really cold. It would actually be frost on the ground. And God allowed that fire to be with them to keep them warm, also that they may have light in the middle of the desert that they may see. Because another thing about the desert is at night, you can wave your hand in front of your face and you won't be able to see it because it's so dark. There, there, there are no street lights. There are no store lights. See, it's only bright around here at night because we got street lights, the lights that illuminate from all the stores that's open and everything else. Uh, other than that, if we were in the wilderness, you wouldn't be able to see anything at night. Your night vision that kicks in when your pupils dilate, that wouldn't help you either. Hallelujah. And we also realized by looking at a study of God the Father that God said of himself in Exodus chapter 20 in, in what we know as the, uh, the Ten Commandments, God says that I am a jealous God. Now God said that of himself, that he's a jealous God. And he don't want us committing spiritual adultery. And the way we explain spiritual adultery is God has to have number one in your life because he will not take any subsequent number in your life. So if he's not number one, technically he's not in your life. And they got a lot of people running around that's trying to keep God in second, third, fourth, fifth place in their life. But I, I just want to be honest with you and tell you, if he ain't first, he ain't in there. Now, we do have to make concession for baby Christians, those who just get saved, those who just learned about God. We have to have time for the Holy Spirit now to come in and reconstruct our lives because there was a lot of things that was first place in our life before we got saved. But once we get saved, we allow baby Christians, those who are just saved, we allow them time to, for the Holy Spirit to reconstruct what's important in their life. But once God, once you have solidified in your heart that God is number one in your life, that's the only position that God will take in our life is number one. Amen. He will not settle for second, third, fourth, and subsequent place. Hallelujah. Then we talked about how God is omnipresent. Hallelujah. God is omniscient. Amen. Meaning omnipresent, meaning he's in all places at all times. The word is ubiquitous, uh, like water. Amen. God is everywhere at all times. He's also omniscient. He's also all-knowing. God knows everything. Hallelujah. And uh, God is omnipotent, meaning that he's all-powerful. Hallelujah. Amen. And then we talked about, I can't, I can't stop talking about God the Father until I mention uh, 1 John 4 and 8, where it says, for those of us who do not love, we do not know God. Why? Because God is love. Hallelujah. So I would uh, encourage and admonish the Christians today that we need to work on our love walk. Hallelujah. Because we are trying to be like uh, God the Son, who's a replica of, 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 the, of the, the, the image, the Bible says, of God the Father. And we're trying to be the image of God the Son. So we have to learn how to love better. And if you want to learn how to love better, let me let you in on one little clue. You have to learn how to forgive better. Because Jesus said it's easy to love those that love you. That's easy. You're in a good relationship, everything honky-dory. But it's when the argument comes up and the dissension comes up and, and then uh, love kind of get turned down or turned off Well, we have to learn how to forgive. And I do believe that those words are somewhat synonymous 
uh, love and forgiveness. Because if you love me, you will forgive me. Hallelujah. And when you forgive me, I know you really love me. Amen. Amen. Then we went the next week and we began to talk about God the Son. Hallelujah. And when we talked about God the Son, uh, there's some things that we learned about God the Son. And in keeping everything in context, amen, this is one thing that I'm real big on when we read in the scriptures. We've got to make sure that we keep everything in context. And a lot of times we are giving attributes of God the Father to God the Son. Hallelujah. Amen. But we talked about God the Son, and in the family of God, when we talked about God the Son, we looked at our favorite scripture, uh, Genesis 1.26, and it shows that in the beginning, uh, the Son of God was with him. And, and remember, we refrained from calling him Jesus at that time, because in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1.26, when God began to speak about the creation of man, he used plural words to those who are in collaboration with him to create man. And, and I've been taught through my spiritual training that the uh, partners that God was collaborating with in the creation of man was the Son and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So in Genesis 1.26, God began to say something like, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And those are plural words. So we, we glean from that scripture that God the Son was already with God the Father. Now we only know him as Jesus, hallelujah, uh, when Mary has the baby. And, and I want to be honest with you, technically, we really don't know him as Jesus until about the second or third century AD. When they gave him his Roman Greco name of Jesus. His birth name that, that, that Mary and Joseph put on his birth certificate because uh, remember now, it's, it's, it's two stories for sure when they went to Jerusalem uh, to the county and, and for the census. And I bet you if you go back and look at the census for that year, they didn't have uh, Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. That's not what they had. Because no devout Hebrews, no devout Jews, and that's how we meet Mary and Joseph in the Bible, in the New Testament, when we are introduced to those two characters, Mary and Joseph, it says that they were devout Jews. Well, I can uh, give you 100% that devout Jews did not name their baby Jesus. Hallelujah. That's a Roman and a Greek name. So that came from the Greco-Roman society. And, and, and I'm not saying that people should not call him Jesus today. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is if you want to know the name that was on his birth certificate, the name that was on his birth certificate is Yehoshua uh, ben Hosef of Nazareth. Hallelujah. And then uh, Yeshua is short for Yehoshua. Amen. Amen. And, and we learned about Jesus also uh, that Jesus, the Bible says in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son who is Jesus. Amen. So Jesus came to the earth with a mission. Hallelujah. Amen. And we also see that Jesus was early on in the Bible, not only in Genesis 1:26 with creation, we are introduced to the Son of God uh, in Genesis chapter 3 uh, when he's given the devil his punishment, uh, the serpent his punishment, I'm sorry, because the serpent was a representation of the devil. He was not the devil. Amen. So uh, when, the, when, when the serpent is receiving his punishment from God, one thing that God told the serpent was is that the seed of the woman was going to bruise his head. 
and he was going to kick him so hard that he was got, that the son of God was actually going to do his heel. Hallelujah. So that's an introduction to Yeshua, to Jesus right there in the Old Testament. And, and we did a study here one time at Sabbath rest about finding Jesus in the Old Testament books. Hallelujah. I, I, I think it's imperative that all of us would show the saints of God that Jesus has always been. And you can see him very clearly in the Old Testament books. Uh, we use the word when we were talking about Jesus, we use the word theophany. Because a theophany is a physical appearance of God in the Old Testament. But what we were seeing was not God the Father. What we were actually seeing was called theophanies. Is that those were uh, presentations of God the Son. Hallelujah. The Bible says that uh, Moses wanted to see God's face and God told him no man can see my face without dying. So what God did because he loved Moses so much, he said, listen, I'm going to honor your request and I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock and when I pass by, I'll let you see my backside. But when he passed by, the physical manifestation that Moses saw was not God the Father, it was God the Son. Hallelujah. And then we have a better example even in the book of Daniel. We see that in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar got angry with three Hebrew boys for not uh, doing idolatry, for not falling into his idolatrous command, and they refused him, so he turned up the fiery furnace seven times hotter. The Bible says that even those who threw them in the fire was burned, but the three Hebrew boys, the Bible says that as Nebuchadnezzar was checking to see how his uh, barbecue was going, he looked into the fiery furnace and he was astounded because he looked around to his uh, servants and he says, wait a minute, didn't we just throw three men in the fire? He said, well, why now do I see four and the fourth one looks like the son of man? Hallelujah. So that is a theophany when Jesus shows up in person form in the Old Testament. So we see that the, the Son of God has always been, amen? Amen. And uh, we also talked about even you see Jesus in the Old Testament rendition of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle, just for learning purposes real, real quick, you have the tabernacle, which was that mobile tent that God instructed Moses to erect in the wilderness as they were going on. In other words, they had a mobile church because they was on the move. So they took the church with them and set it up wherever they was going to camp out at. And God taught that the, the word is the tabernacle. And when you look at the Old Testament tabernacle, which Hebrews, the book of the New Testament book of Hebrews, gives a great uh, illustration of the Old Testament tabernacle and the uh, function that was going on in the Old Testament. And the Bible says that when you were walking to the tabernacle, not the outer court, but when you would walk into the inner court of the tabernacle, they would have a, a table on uh, one side, there's a table on the other side, and on the table on the right-hand side was a lamp, uh, the, the, the Jewish word is a menorah, uh, we call it a seven or a nine candle holder, amen, but they actually call menorahs, and that light sitting on that table represented Jesus, who is the light of the world, hallelujah. And then you look on the other side, on the left-hand side of the uh, inner court of the tabernacle, and you would see that there uh, was some bread there. The Bible calls it in the New Testament showbread. And uh, that bread that was there, hallelujah, uh, was the representation of Jesus as well because Jesus is the bread of life. Amen. So we see all, but you have to know how to find it. In, in the Old Testament, it doesn't use his name, Jesus. You have to realize the symbolism of Jesus coming in the New Testament, what he would stand for. So the point of doing that, Jesus is in the family of God, and I wanted to show you that Jesus has always been. Hallelujah. And then we came back and we talked about the third entity of this family of God, which was the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Amen. And since the King James, which is closest to the original text, the King James does use the word Holy Ghost every now and then. So I really don't have a problem with Holy Ghost, except when you look at what the word translates into, there is a difference there. And some people got a little problem with using Holy Ghost. Uh, I don't really mind. But whatever, we have the third entity of the family of God, which is the Ruach HaKadosh. We could always call it that because that's always in proper order. The Ruach HaKadosh, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit was always with God as well. He was that other entity that God was talking about, talking to when he said, let us create man in our image after our likeness. Amen. And when we talked about the Holy Spirit, we found out that he's also uh, the spirit of wisdom. Hallelujah. The job of the Holy Spirit is that the Bible says that he will come and he will comfort us. He's also referred to as the spirit of truth. The spirit of holiness. Hallelujah. He's also called the spirit of adoption. Amen. The spirit of glory. Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that he came to lead us and guide us into all truth and righteousness. But matter of fact, watch this. When Jesus was telling the apostles uh, 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 that he was going to be leaving, he said, but I won't leave you. I'm going to ask God that he would send another, the word in the New Testament, the Greek word there is paraclete, which means we get our word parallel from, like railroad tracks run parallel to one another, because what the Holy Spirit was saying is I'm not going to be no different than Jesus, except I'm not in physical form. I'm not going to have a human body. But the Holy Spirit in Jesus, they are what's called, it's called a paraclete because they are the same. Hallelujah. It's just that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, watch this, this is so good, the Holy Spirit will be with us, but God is so good that he says not only would the Holy Spirit be with us, that he would also what? Be in us. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm filled with the power of God. There is a peace of God living inside of me in the form, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the uh, one other thing we learned about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is not an it, he's a he. Because he's the third person of the Godhead. Amen? So the Holy Spirit, whenever you see Ruach HaKadosh, you always see it in its masculine form. Amen? And then we came back and we talked about us. Hallelujah. Being in the family of God. And when we talked about us, of course we know that God created us. We were also human beings. Amen. God created us by Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and it says let us create man in our image after our likeness. Somebody need to say I'm made like God. But I want to be able to stop right here real, real quick and try to give you some uh, insight that you're not technically made like God until you say yes to Jesus and when you say yes to Jesus you receive the Holy Ghost. And that's what makes us children of God. Because even when we were talking about uh, human beings, we went to uh, John chapter 1, St. John chapter 1 verse 12, and it says something like this, that for all those who believed on his name, he gave them the power to become the sons, and the NIV version says the children of God. So this is how you become a child of God, you have to accept the provision that he provided, and that is through Jesus, hallelujah. If you have not accepted Jesus, you are not a child of God. You, you may go to church every time the door's open, but that don't put you in the family of God. That puts you in that church family. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 We even talked about, uh, which is very important, 
Psalms chapter 8. Matter of fact, I'm going to save that till I get to the entity that we're going to talk about today. I'm going to save that. We did talk about it last week, but I, I want to talk about that today also. Uh, we even looked at Genesis chapter 10, because when we talk about humanity, we all come from Adam and Eve, but you got to realize that there was a total destruction of the earth through the flood, the flood in Noah's time, and God re- generated or replenished is the word that's in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 9 that God replenished the earth through Noah and his three boys. Amen. So you 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 now are separated through those three sons of Noah. You are either a descendant of Ham, Hephat, or Shem. Now, we pointed out that every time we see this list in the Bible, it's always listed, Shem's name is always first, but Japheth was actually the oldest boy. Hallelujah. But the reason that Shem's name is always first in those lists is because Shem is the bloodline that the Messiah would come through. When you read Shem's bloodline, it starts off with his son, and then it goes into Abraham. And we know after you start reading around Genesis chapter 12, when you get to the story about Abraham, the rest of the Bible is about that lineage. The only time you're going to see the, the descendants of Ham or Japheth mentioned is because they are at war with the children of Shem. But the Bible is talking about and telling us we need to be grafted in into the bloodline of Shem by accepting Jesus as our personal Savior. I, I hope you are aware of that. Read Romans chapter 11. Read what Paul was trying to uh, discuss with us in Romans chapter 11 about being grafted in. Hallelujah. You have to be grafted into the family of God, and you get grafted in by accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. See, in the New Testament, God opened the door of salvation to all people, tongues, and nations. Initially, it was, it was just the Jews that was the people of God. But in the New Testament, through the blood of Jesus, now anybody, come on, everybody say whosoever. And the Bible says that so many times that whosoever want to come to Christ, let them come. So you don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be rich. You just have to accept Jesus. Amen. Amen. And today I want to talk about that fifth and final entity in the family of God, and that is angels. Amen. Angels. Hallelujah. And they have a very, very important role in the family of God, and hopefully by the time we finish, you're going to be able to say amen, hallelujah, about some angels, amen. So when we talk about angels, I want to be able to talk today about some of the functions and some of the duties of angels. Now, one of the first things that I realized in studying uh, about angels is that if I had the desire to do an in-depth study or in-depth teaching about angels, I would have to use other historical theological sources because our Bible, the, 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 the 66 books that we have, which are Protestant uh, and, and, and Catholic by nature, for some reason, they did not add to this Bible a lot of theological information that we need. I find our 66 books to teach somewhat superficially. If you want to really get into the depth of a lot of these stories, you have to be able to realize that you may have to use older uh, theological information. Now I want to share this with you real quick because some people don't know this. The Hebrew Jewish history, which we have here in the Bible, what we have here in the Bible 
is the Hebrew and Jewish history. Well, you got to realize that's only about 6,000 years. And the earth is way more than 6,000 years old. But the story about God taking in the Jewish people as his people, that story is only about 6,000 years old. But how many of you know that when we looking at Genesis chapter 1 about creation, that's not 6,000 years ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but it was way longer than 6,000 years ago. You see, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 12, where it starts talking about Abraham, because that's where the 6,000 years start. The 6,000 years don't start with Adam and Eve. The 6,000 years don't even start with Noah and his boys getting off the boat. The 6,000 years start with Abraham when they were collected in and called God's chosen people. So my mind, the way that my mind works, is what happened before the 6,000 years was recorded. Because there is some information on what was going on with God before what we know these 6,000 years. And it's in the Sumeric text. And I would suggest that we try our best to uh, come familiar with the Sumeric text. And it'll show you that a lot of the stories, the flood story, is in the Sumeric text. The creation, hallelujah, it's in there. And it's older than our Bible. So the history that we read as Christians in the Bible, that is only 6,000 years history. But the earth wasn't created 6,000 years ago. Hallelujah. God did not create Adam and Eve 6,000 years ago. That boat did not land on Mount Ararat 6,000 years ago. Hallelujah. Now, when you do consider that, then you have to look at our scriptures as being superficial because we glaze over stories in our 66 books that we have. And the reason I'm saying that is because when you start going and reading some of the more ancient texts, you will find out that there was a lot more going on in a lot of the stories that we have in the Bible. Hallelujah. So I would ask that you would be become a studier of God's word. And, 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 and this is the reason that I feel that it's okay. Because if you get a good study Bible like I have, it has what was going on. So I'm not getting this, in, well, I am getting this information from other historical documents. But a lot of the notes that's in this Bible that I use, it says the same thing that these historical documents that I'm looking at. One of them being the Sumerian text. One of them being the Ethiopian text. Another one look, is looking at the... Uh, 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 the Latin Vulgate. There's a lot of other texts that you could look at uh, and it's not against God to look at these other texts. Hallelujah. You know, you know what killed me about America? Our, our way of thinking is we think we the baby. We, we can show up as being the baby in, in the group and we want to start telling everybody else what to do. Like, Do you know how old Rome is? Do you know how old the ancient world is? And here come America in, 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 in 1775. Hallelujah. Here come America in 1775. And you want to come and act like you know more than the people that have been here before you got here. That, 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 that kind of blows me away. And we do the same thing in Christianity. You come along with this Protestantism which started in the year 1517. And you want to come on the spot 
1517 and start acting like you could tell people what was going on that been here way before you. That's like, that's like having a five-year-old come into the group. You got a bunch of mature, grown men trying to discuss something, and we let a five-year-old come in and start dictating how the conversation goes. That's, that's the American way of thinking. You think you're smarter than everybody. That's where I get it from. Hallelujah. It's the American way of thinking. But there are documents and written information that was here way before this Bible got here with the 66 books in it. Matter of fact, they broke this Bible down from 72 books. The Catholic Bible got 72 books. They broke that down from 81. So, I mean, I, I just thought I might go read the other 14 books. <laughs> i tell you what. They don't say nothing no different than these books say. They're a little bit too Jewish and too Catholic in nature. And that's why the Protestant church don't want you reading. That's the only reason the Protestant church don't want you reading Maccabees, Judith, Tobeth, uh, Wisdom. Uh, come on, help me out. Uh, Enoch, Jubilee, Yesha. They don't want you reading that because it's a little bit too Catholic and too Jewish in nature. What's that other one, Dave? Oh, Lord. That ain't nothing but a rendition of Daniel. But if people scared to touch it and read it, they'll never know we got people who scared to read Revelations. It's in our book. So once a certain fear or once somebody has put something bad into your spirit about something, you don't want to have nothing to do with it. But how many of you know that folk will lie to you to keep you from what the, the truth what they know? Uh-oh. Let me move on. Let me move on. Now, since I am a Christian pastor ordained under the Protestant umbrella, when they canonized our Bible, the terms was used, these are the only books that can be taught from the most holy, from the pulpit, and, 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 and taught as God's holy word. And I agree with that. So that's why I don't bring the book of Yesha up here and read it to you. I don't bring the book of Jubilee up here and read it to you. Because I don't want to go against what I have been ordained into. But I do read them for myself. For self-knowledge and trust me I've gained some knowledge hallelujah and a lot of the information that, that's in these other 14 books uh, which, is, which is called the uh, apocryphy they're called apocryphy and uh, a lot of that information has been deleted from the Bible that we use today but what God did reveal to me I came to share with you today about angels in concluding our study on the family of God. So, in the family of God, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit, we have human beings, and we have angels. Now, let me show you why I count it that way. Let me just start in order. That way I can stay in order. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 3, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, in that 24th verse, this is after the sin, this is after the fall of man, and God is now uh, putting Adam and Eve out of the garden, and in that 24th verse, the Bible says, so he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden, 
cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. In other words, he put an angel there and a sword to keep human beings out of the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve messed it up by sin, by being disobedient to God. Amen? Now when we see this word cherubim, cherubim is another word that's used for angel. Actually, cherubim is a form of an angel. It's not another word used for angel. A cherubim is, is a specific type of angel. So, angels are mentioned in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, because that's what the word Genesis means, beginning. So we see at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter uh, 3, that angels were present. The Bible says in another place that it's God who created all of the heavenly hosts. Now I want to throw this in real quick because watching TV, letting Hollywood dictate your perspective on angels will mess you up biblically. Angels are not, everybody say that with me, angels are not, come on, say that with me, angels are not the spirits of dead people. Angels are not spirits of the departed, those who have died and went on. Now watching TV sometimes, they'll give us that implication. Hallelujah. Angels are not glorified human beings. The presumption is, watch this. Well, I got to say that. So we see here in Genesis chapter 3, angels been on the scene. And angels are heavenly beings. Everybody all right with that? Now, let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 19. Because first thing that I want to prove to you is that angels are real. Angels exist. And this is one problem that we have in the church, is that folk only want to believe certain things. Honey, this ain't Louis. The Bible is not Louis. You, you don't get to pick and choose what you're going to believe. It's all here. We do grow in our understanding and our knowledge of the word of God through time. But everything that's written in here, there is an expectation from heaven that we would believe in it and that we would trust in it. That's an expectation from heaven. But what we've learned to do through denominationalism, I'm going to say that big word again, what we as human beings, especially Americans, have learned to do through denominationalism is we've learned to pick and choose what part of the Bible, even the 66 books that we have, you got the audacity to pick and choose what you're going to believe and how you're going to teach it. Watch this. Why is everybody so confused about wearing masks? Why is everybody so confused about, should we wear a mask? I don't want to wear a mask. Why, why is everybody confused? Because the leaders didn't say the same thing. If all the leaders from the president, the vice president, the secretary of state, the, the, if everybody from the top would have said wear a mask, you would have had one message. Okay, I use that as an example. Why is the church so confused? Because the leaders ain't all saying the same thing. So you got the Baptists believing one way, you got the Catholics believing one way, you got the Methodists believing one way, you got... If you don't speak in tongues, you ain't saved. There's a denomination that believe that. 
watch this. If you ain't keeping the Sabbath, you ain't saved. That's a denomination that teaches that. The Bible never says neither one of those two things. And much, much more that denominations want to teach. But let me, let me tell you how we can stay safe. Teach what the Bible says. And leave your opinion and your interpretation out of it. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 19, we're going to start right at verse 1. Because what I'm, what I'm doing here is proving to you that the Bible is showing us that angels are real. Hallelujah. And I don't know if you know this, if they were real then, they real now. Hallelujah. Because somebody, I read somewhere where it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. So the things that pertain to this word, God established them, and they will always be in effect. Unless you come to the New Testament, and Paul or somebody in the New Testament say, you don't have to do that no more. If, if Paul, Jesus, or anybody has never said that you ain't got to do that no more, well, but we, we, we've been taught here what's called the law of first mention. If the Bible mentions something, that's called the law of first mention. And if the Bible mentions something and it don't come back and retract that statement, that thing is still in effect. Hallelujah. Amen. So in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1, the Bible says, and there came two what? Angels to Sodom. Now we know the story. I, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm not going to even reiterate it because we know it. We know that story when the angels showed up at Lot House. But I wanted to use that scripture to prove to you that the Bible is showing us that angel's real. It, that's not a typo. He didn't make a mistake. He's not making a mistake in calling men angels. These are angels, heavenly beings. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. I don't want to get stuck. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh-oh, I think we can go and go to the New Testament now. Because I already know what some people think. That's the Old Testament preacher. <laughs> That's another problem with the church. You have separated your books. You think one has no uh, ramification in your life today. But I come to tell you that a grand majority, a great majority of what the New Testament is saying, that's Old Testament references. But you just have to know how to put them together to make them make sense. Come on, let's go to New Testament. Let's go to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. I think. Yeah, Matthew chapter 3. Amen. Actually, it's in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, let's look at verse 11. In Matthew chapter 4, New Testament, amen. And actually, when we read this, we're going to realize something. I, I don't even know how you can say you believe in Jesus if you don't believe in this verse. Because there are many, many God, people of God that, that say they don't believe in angels. But I just want to prove to you today that they're true and they are part of the family of God. Amen? Let's read verse 11, Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible says, then the angel, I'm sorry, then the devil leadeth him 
and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Do you believe that? Or is that one of those scriptures you just going to take out because you don't believe? Angels didn't really go minister to Jesus. That's what the Bible says. It didn't say the apostles went minister to him. It didn't say any of his disciples went minister to him. It says that God sent angels to minister to him. Amen. Now, let's go to Psalms chapter 8. I passed it by. My bookmark must have fell out. Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. We did look at this scripture last week, but I want to use it again as my evidence. And I want to be able to teach you something because we are under the presumption and, and, and we presume a lot of things. We are under the presumption since angels can fly and teleport and they have access in and out of heaven, we, um, we presume that angels are higher than us in, uh, in hierarchy or importance to God because they have the ability to fly and teleport and they have access in and out of heaven. So you think that they are higher in position than humans. It's a good assumption, but it's not true. Hallelujah. And I want to use Psalms chapter 8 to show you that the hierarchy in heaven and on earth goes like this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Actually, I shouldn't even put them below each other. I should say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because neither one of them are high. They are side by side. They work together. And then there's human beings, and then there's angels. Now, this is the reason that I say this. Amen. Psalms chapter 8. Let's start reading right at verse 1. Let's just go ahead. It's, just, it's a short psalm. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, because of thy enemies, that thou might steal the enemy and the avenger. Verse 3 says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou have ordained, here's the question, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that you visited him? So there's two questions that they ask. So the psalmist is saying, uh, this is a psalm of David. So David is saying, God, I done looked at everything you done made. And it is awesome. I'm amazed by the work of your hand. What do you say? The heavens, the moon, the stars. Then he comes in verse 4 and he asks two questions. He say, what is man that you mindful of him? And what is the son of man that you visited him? Now, in that arena... What he just did for me in that fourth verse was he put man and, 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 and Yeshua and the son of man on the same level. Amen. Look at verse 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than angels and hast crowned his head with glory and honor. Now, you have to go look at this for yourself. I don't know what Bible translator you use. 
but this is a terrible translation. They put the word angel, but the word in Hebrew that's actually there is Elohim. Elohim. Now, any Hebrew word that has im on the end of it is like us putting an S on a word. It means plural. So really, the word El Elohim goes where the word angel is. So now, and, and you have to look it up for yourself. I don't want you to take my word for it. Go get you a Bible translator and go to this verse, Psalms chapter 8, verse 5, and see in the original text in the Hebrew what Hebrew word is in the place of angels. You have to do that. I don't want you to take my word for it. Let's read it again with the right word. He says, for thou hast made him a little lower than Elohim, than the plural Godhead. So, in Hebrews, let me, let, me, let, me, let me use this scripture too. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In the book of Hebrews, the question is asked several times. To which of the angels did God say, come take a seat at my right hand? So the hierarchy on, in heaven and on earth is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that's the Godhead. You have human beings who God loves so dearly that he sent his only begotten son into the world. Remember the Bible says about angels that when they were disobedient, they lost their place. Following, come on. So we have to realize that angels take care of us. We don't take care of angels. That's my evidence to prove to you that we're human beings, God's people, let me put it that way, God's people is higher than angels because God loves us. God is concerned about us. God created angels to take care of us, to be our helpers. Hallelujah. When we're in trouble, God sends an angel. We're going to see it in a minute because I'm going to go through some of the names and definitions of some of the angels. So I wanted to share that with you because some Christians, we need to be lifted up. Some, some, some of God's people are walking around in 2020 depressed. They've been to their doctor and their doctor has diagnosed them with depression. But I want to encourage you today that God has lifted you high above all of his creation. We are his crown jewel. We are his craftsmanship. We are his handiwork. God took his time creating us. God loves us. Somebody say that right now. God loves me. God made me special. I am his own. God sent his only begotten son into the world that through him I might be saved. God loves me. That gives you a certain attitude. That gives you a certain aura about yourself. You'll get a different mindset about yourself when you realize that God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who stood out on the vastness of nothing and started calling things into being, the one who has all power in the palm of his hand, the one who's from everlasting to everlasting, God, hallelujah. He loves us, hallelujah. Somebody say that right now, God loves me. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that he has loved us with what? With an everlasting love. God loves you. Now we got people in our life that have made us doubt love. But don't you ever give up on God's love. Hallelujah. 
I, I, I talked about it last week. Men, we have been wrong in, in the way that we've raised our families. We've destroyed our families. The women who loved, that, who loved us and, and looked at us like we were God ourselves, we turned them against us because we were evil. We were stiff-necked. We were arrogant. We, we would fight them. We would not bring the money home to them. We made them feel like they were second-class citizens. Human beings did all that, not God. God loves you. God has never let you down, even when you thought he did. Just wait a few years, a few months down the road, and you realize God didn't let you down. God was protecting you. Come on, somebody say, God loves me. Hallelujah. So just because angels fly and they teleport and they have access in and out of heaven, that still don't make them better than you. You are God's child. Hallelujah. And with that being understood, Let's look at uh, the scripture, what the scriptures say about angels. Now, the Bible talks about two angels by name. Our Bible, the Protestant Bible that we have here, the 66 books, they only mention two angels by name. Now, it's imperative that you would go back and look at some other historical theological documents I got to make sure I say the whole thing because I don't want you to just go and read any old encyclopedia or any old. When you're getting biblical definitions, you got to read a biblical dictionary. You can't get theological definitions from a Webster. Webster don't do theological studies, honey. And too many people go into Webster's for biblical definitions. You're not going to find it. So there's other, other historical theological documents that we can use. That tells us the truth. But one of the angels that our 66 books talks about is called the archangel. And this word archangel implies that they are mighty or high angels. Now there's a difference. There's different levels, different categories, different functions, and different duties for angels. Hallelujah. Michael, the archangel, is the first and most important archangel mentioned in the Bible. His name, his name means who is like God. That's what Michael means. The one who is like God. And we know Michael as that war angel, that battle angel, that fighting angel. And we know it from two scriptures for sure. In Daniel, when Daniel say he was praying, and the other angel, the messenger angel, who we'll talk about in a minute, he was having trouble getting through. Y'all remember we read Daniel chapter 10 a few weeks ago? He was having trouble getting the message back to Daniel. Well, the Bible says that the archangel Michael showed up and helped him. Hallelujah. And we also see in the book of Jude, the New Testament book, Jesus' half-brother, Jude, Judas. The book is named Jude, but it's by Jesus' half-brother, Judas. Hallelujah. Now, you got to read the Gospels when it, when it tells the name. I forget what book. I think it's Matthew chapter 12 or 13. It tells the names of Jesus' brothers. Didn't, didn't, didn't mention the name of the sisters, but it mentioned the name of the brothers. And you see Judas is one of them. Hallelujah. And in Jude, the Bible says that the archangel Michael argued over the body of Moses. Amen. So we see for sure that Michael is that warring angel. Hallelujah. Then the Bible specifically talks about Gabriel. And Gabriel's name uh, means the strength of God. And Gabriel is that uh, messenger angel. 
Gabriel is that one who stood on the rock that morning when they came looking for Jesus at the tomb. And he said, who you looking for? <laughs> he said, who you looking for? He gone. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, what did he tell him? He has risen. Amen? That's the messenger angel, Gabriel. Hallelujah. And there are scriptures. When Gabriel says his own name, he introduces himself as Gabriel. Amen? Now, once again, I want to reiterate that you cannot pick and choose with the Bible. And there are some scriptures that people read and, and your American mind make you say, that ain't real. I, I don't believe that. But if you believe uh, book chapter 1 verse 1, you got to believe verse 2 too. We cannot pick and choose. Everybody all right with that? Come on, let's look at uh, let's look at Luke chapter one. Somebody go to Luke chapter one, verse nineteen for me. Luke chapter one, verse nineteen, and we're gonna look at verse twenty-six. Luke chapter one, Amen. Luke chapter one, verse nineteen. Everybody there? Saint Luke chapter one, verse nineteen. Everybody ready? The Bible says, and the angel answered and said unto him, look, look, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God. Hallelujah. Come on, let's go to verse 26. Same, same book, same chapter. Luke chapter 1, let's read verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. So we see here that this angel is real. This angel, and not only was the angel real, he had a job to do. He was the messenger angel. He was the angel who went to John the Baptist, daddy, hallelujah, when Zechariah was in the temple and he was made speechless. That was Gabriel that went to him with that message. Amen. That was Gabriel that went and told Mary, you, you, you found favor with God. You're going to conceive a baby. That was Gabriel that went to Joseph and said, don't worry, man. You can take as your wife. She ain't been playing around. Hallelujah. That baby is of God. Hallelujah. So we see here. How many of you see here that, that, that angels are real? The next angel I want to talk to you about who's implied in our Bible, but he's not named, is the archangel Raphael, whose name means that God heals. Now, of course, his name does not appear in our Bible, but he is considered the archangel of healing. Come on, let's go to St. John. Let's go to St. John chapter 5. St. John chapter 5. I'm almost done. Amen. Give me a minute. St. John chapter 5. Let's just start reading uh, right at the story. Now, once again, well, let, let's wait till we get there and I'll say it. St. John chapter 5. Everybody ready? We'll start right at verse 1. The Bible says that after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in Hebrew tongue Bethesda having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, amen, 
Lameness is that word haltiness. Lame. Amen. Withered and waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4 says, for an angel, uh-oh, went down at a certain season in the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. You see, this is uh, it's showing us right here that this is the healing angel, Raphael. I, I guess I better pronounce it right. Raphael. Now, another uh, Hebrew fact is that you notice that all of the angels' last name ends, all of the last two letters in their names is L. Check it out now. Come on, we got Michael, Michael, we got Gabriel. Come on, we got Raphael. Come on. And, and I don't know if you remember now, but I, I've told you several times that one of the names of God for Jews is El, El Shaddai. Come on. Y'all know all the names of God that start with El. Amen? So the Jews understood that whenever you use L, you was talking about God the Father. Amen? Amen. I'm trying to find it so I can get, get, get it to you. Amen? So L means God. Matter of fact, it was pointed out to me in, in, in commentary that the Jews felt that God's name was so holy, anytime they would write God's name, they would throw that writing utensil away because God's name was that holy. They understood the uh, third command in the Ten Commandments. Don't use my name in vain. Don't just say my name for nothing. And the Jews actually felt, don't even write his name down for nothing. When you write his name, that is important. And we need to uh, have more reverence of God in this society. We really need to realize that in this sanctuary that God has allowed us to construct that in this sanctuary that God is holy and we need to treat it as such. Amen? Amen. So Raphael, who's that healing angel? Amen. So in John, we see in John 5, uh, 2 through 4, that it doesn't really mention him by name, but he is the angel that heals. Now, the way that I know that is because I went studied other historical theological documents. The next angel is named, that matter of fact, there's seven of them. And Revelations talks about it. Not the seven angels, that's the pastors in, of the churches in, in Revelations chapter 1. You got to go to Revelations, ooh, okay, I don't remember what chapter it is. But it talked about the seven angels. I'm going to find it for you too before I go because I don't like saying stuff I can't prove. Amen. So in Revelations, the Bible talks about seven angels, the ones who... Uh, was getting ready to receive the seven trumpets. Amen? Oh, I'm going to find it for you. Because I never, ever, ever like saying stuff that I can't prove from Scripture. Amen? Come on, find the seven trumpets. Y'all help me. 